if you really want to reflect and learn from a mistake, you really got to dig deep and you get to a place where you're rehashing some pretty, uh, pretty rocky thoughts or, or rocky times that you had in your life. This is your Badass Journey podcast. I am Kareen Walsh, serial entrepreneur, executive leadership coach, and author of the Be a Badass Six Tools to Uplevel Your Life. Each week, I will bring you a guest or a thought that will help you integrate who you really are with what you do. I call that living a badass life. Are you with me? Let's go. Welcome everybody to your Badass Journey podcast. Today's guest is Al Cavalieri. He's the head of marketing at Scion Investments in New York. And he's been in the marketing space for a better half of a decade. He was formerly a college athlete and he's a passionate storyteller. What I love about our conversation today is that he shares his journey of how he jumped in full force into uh, moving to New York after New York City after um, college and taking the plunge into figuring out his career that has now led him to heading up a marketing department for uh, an investment firm. But what's great about Al is that he is so humbled in his experiences and how he got to where he is and shares some of the tools and tips he uses, how he struggles with meditation. So we discussed that as well. And really the value of self-care first as a foundational item to leverage all of who you are in everything that you do. So I know you're going to enjoy this conversation. I cannot wait to hear your comments and feedback about it. Al is someone uh, you need to know. So hopefully you enjoy this conversation as much as I have. Well, welcome, Al Cavalieri. I love calling you Alex, too. If some of you know him in the game, he has been called Alex, but now he's Al Cavalieri, and he is from Scion Investments and one of the badass men in my life, and I had to share him with all of you. So welcome to your badass podcast. I am so excited to share your journey with everyone, Al. Yeah, thanks for having me. I'm, I'm pumped to be chatting with you again. It's been, it's been a minute. It has been a minute, but it always feels like it. we just saw each other yesterday, <laughs> especially with the Instagram follow. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. Got to be on the ground. <laughs> well, I would love for you to share with my listeners how you came to where you are today and just a little bit about your background so they understand you know, your journey a little bit. Yeah, of course. And you know, it's, it's interesting when I, when I tell the story of my background, I, I've had a pretty... I would say non-traditional route to where I am today. So I, I run marketing for Scion Investments. I've been in marketing for a number of years now, but didn't start in marketing originally. So you know, my career it, it was interesting when I was leaving college back in uh, 2010. I went to Syracuse, and I made you know most of the friends that I made in, in school were from the Long Island area. They were from the New York area. They were from the uh, New Jersey area. So I decided, you know, instead of going back to Michigan, which where I'm originally from, I would take my shots in New York. Uh, so I was like, mom, dad, I'm moving to New York city. Uh, they're like, great. Do you have a job? I was like, well, don't have a job, but we're going to, we're going to make that leap and try to figure it out when we get there. And, you know, at that point, a lot of people in, in 
you know, and at the, in school already had jobs lined up or already had internships. I played lacrosse and was focused on athletics. So I wasn't the most career oriented college student. Uh, I ended up moving to New York city, uh, first two months and being here in New York, I, I, I was trying to find a job. Um, I basically would have taken any job that would have came across my plate, but, uh, I ended up landing on the sales desk of a headhunting shop. Hmm. Uh, and it was interesting because I still till this, till this day, tell everybody that is the best learning experience in my life because you know, if you don't know anything about headhunting, you're, you're calling 100 people a day, cold calls 90% of the time. You're emailing another 200. Um, so you're, you're you know, trial by fire and you're, getting, you're learning rejection extremely fast. And you know, I, I joined that company, uh, which was WorkBridge Associates, did headhunting for, for startups in New York City, which... It was a great market at the time, 2010, a lot of EC money, a lot of startups were, were doing a ton of hiring. I ended up you know, actually getting out of the gates pretty quickly at that company, uh, was one of the top salespeople there. But it, you know, it was a smaller firm. It was a, a, it was a grind of all grinds. And you know, I, I said to myself, I wanted to experience getting into a bigger firm and just Getting in, getting experience with a, a name brand, whether it be in finance, whether it be in tech, or uh, you know something or other. And I ended up talking to a friend who worked at BlackRock, and you know they they loved it there. They they you know really enjoyed their experience there so far there in the institutional business. And so I ended up passing my resume through them. Uh, I knew that I couldn't move from a headhunting slash recruiting into a marketing role, which I started to skew that way because I got one of my biggest clients as a headhunter through Twitter. Mm. It was like something where you know you didn't expect it, particularly in 2010, but the guy would never pick up my phone calls. But then one day I was like, you know what? I just I gotta I gotta search for this guy more about this guy's background. Mark O'Neill, if he ever listens to this, you know, it's it's uh, <laughs> Um, so I tweeted him and I, you know, and that's how I got my first client. So I started to, you know, catch on to this marketing thing, but I knew I couldn't transition from being a recruiter to in a particular marketing role, unless I took a marketing role in another small firm, which I wanted to get into a bigger firm naturally first. So ended up interviewing for a campus recruiting job at BlackRock. So that was a lot of events, you know, going to a lot of events and representing the firm from uh, from a BlackRock perspective. Uh, and then I, I ended up... Go, so I ended up getting hired for that as a contract worker. So it wasn't a full-time worker. Mm-hmm. It gets interesting as the story goes. But it was the, in, within the first 30 days I was there, you know, they, they, they came to the team, the head of the group came to the team and he said... You know, we need to build, rebuild our campus recruiting website, and we need to, you know, start to build a social media presence for for BlackRock as it relates to recruiting. And, you know, I was like, okay, this is like my end. I was like, I got to take advantage of this. So I raised my hand, ended up getting that project, leading that project in partnership with the head of brand and some other folks within the marketing organization. Uh, you know, and I met a bunch of folks in marketing. I worked on that project for like. Oh man, like six to eight months. And then, you know, I leveraged that into a, a role within the retirement marketing space where I worked for a couple of years, particularly on the digital side. And I started to fall in love with 
just digital in general, the elements of how a, a website plays into your marketing, how a website plays into your brand, and falling in, in love with other elements of promotional channels outside of social, such as paid search, email, etc. And then, so I was in retirement marketing for uh, I think uh, two years, and then oh man, it seems longer. And then yeah. uh, ended up transitioning into the digital organization, specifically, even though I was already working on digital stuff. Uh, and I was there for a, a number of years, and I recently left last year uh, to go run marketing for Cyan Investments, um, which is where I am now. Still living in New York City. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> For now. <laughs> what I love about it, what I love about your, your journey, Al, is that you first took a leap of faith in yourself, right? You know, after college and jumping into an unknown, but having faith in yourself that you'd make it happen no matter what is something, I mean, it's very, that's how I approached my career when I kicked things off too. And I graduated college and I was like, I'm going to go figure it out in San Francisco. I was in Washington, DC and ended up in San Francisco initially. And so I could totally relate to that grind when you get somewhere new and you're like, I'm just going to see what I can learn and how great it is that you landed on recruiting because it is, I think it's the most complex industry out there when you're needing to represent individuals to be placed into a company you're like representing both sides and you're trying to find this like perfect match and it's so challenging because you're dealing with personalities all over the place right and and that learning as you now are at scion and and building the brand and relaunching your brand and 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 as the head of marketing like taking it to the next level that people understanding I'm sure you had at the beginning of your career is actually what backs most brand story, you know, interaction that you have, right? Like, would you say that that's a, a fundamental skill to, yeah, to I manage? Agree. And I think it's a, it's a couple of things. I think one of which is, you know, the, the relationship aspect of sales. And I tell everyone this is if you can get into a sales job, one, at one point in your career, like everyone I tell who's still in college, who may I chat with about career advice or a business development role, that just teaches you not only one flat out teaches you rejection, <laughs> yeah. the door closed eight out of 10 times, but it also teaches you how to build relationships, maintain relationships. Um, and it starts to, and, and that was great on the recruiting side, is that it allowed me to understand how people start to work and understand how these different teams need to come together to create a cohesive strategy and a, and a cohesive process. Um, and that was something I really learned at, as, a, as a headhunter in addition to the sales aspect was just you know figuring out what are people's mindsets like when they are looking for someone to bring into their company, which now as a you know, ahead of a group, it's super, you know, it comes full, full, you know, full circle because you got to think that way when you're making decisions about your own team. So that was, it's, I completely agree. It's definitely an element that goes into that, that bleeds throughout the whole career. And, you know, when I moved into campus recruiting and, and being in that role at, at BlackRock, you know, being in a people oriented role, very heavily people oriented role for, you know, the first year plus maybe of my career, it really 
allowed me to build relationships with senior folks within the firm very quickly and as you know a 22 22 year old kid so that was one of those things where you know you learn to interact and present and be around senior people very early on in your career so I was I was lucky to to be able to fall into that as well yeah that exposure helps because that relational element that you were talking about is how you build teams. It's how you, you know, step up into leadership. It's how you connect with those who are more senior than you to figure out, well, how do I even get to where you are? You know, so it's, it's really cool that you had the opportunity, you know, at such a young age to flex those muscles. And it sounds like, you know, you, you really didn't have any qualms with risk, (laughs) you know, like jumped in full didn't then. I mean, now would be a different story. But uh, you yeah, know, the, you know, the the idea. Uh, it was really, it was it was scrappy. You know, it was mm-hmm. you and I. I ended up the the, the headhunting job to BlackRock to navigating my way within a big firm like BlackRock. You know, it was just trying to build as many relationships as I, as, as I could. Try to figure out where the pockets are. So it was, a, it was a scrappy risk, risk-taking effort, I'd say. Yeah, but it, it, it rewards you when you do that, right? Each lesson learned. As you think about the younger version of yourself and now where you are, you know, what advice would you potentially give that version of you? Don't overthink things. And you know, I think a lot of the time, particularly because we're such a social media-heavy world that you tend to overthink either what you're doing on a day-to-day basis or where your career is going to go in three to five years when you have no idea. I had no idea like where I am now or where I even was three years ago. I couldn't have told you that when I was 21. I I thought I'd be back in Michigan working for my dad. (laughs) Um, So I think it's one, don't overthink things. And I think it's learn from your micro mistakes. You know, I think... You, I think there's two ways you can think about mistakes. You either have major mistakes or you either have micro mistakes. I've had both, I mean, throughout my career. Uh, but I think it's just taking inventory of what those are um, and being able to really, truly reflect on them. And, and you know, a lot of people talk about reflecting on your mistakes. And I think a lot of the time it's kind of BS because you, you don't spend enough time, but you really got to dig if you really want to reflect and learn from a mistake, you really got to dig deep and you get to a place where you're rehashing some pretty uh, pretty rocky thoughts or, or, or rocky times that you had in your life. Do you have a specific time or, or kind of obstacle you overcame that you feel is now like a, a foundational lesson that helps you thrive today? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, there's a couple of instances in my life foundationally, I think probably more set my mentality versus my, uh, my probably mostly set my mentality. So there was one where when I was in high school, you know, when I committed to Syracuse to, to play sports, my high school coach, the first thing he said to me, he's like, you're an idiot. Uh. And I said, okay. Uh. Uh, and I, you know, I didn't really realize. And, you know, he had, he, he had a son that played there. Um, and he's like, you're going to go there. You're going to get no playing time. You're going to uh, end up being miserable. He's like, you know, you're, you're not good enough to go there. That was something that just became like a little bit of a chip on my shoulder. 
going into Syracuse and, you know, for the rest of my senior year at, in high school from a lacrosse perspective. You know, so that I think the high school element really, really shaped my mindset in terms of how I think and, and having that chip on my shoulder, because I think it's important to have a chip on your shoulder, not one that you keep so heavily on your shoulders to where you hold grudges, but enough of a chip to, that kicks, you know, kicks your ass a little bit. Then to my, prove, like to prove otherwise. Or otherwise to yourself, to, you know, the powers that be to mm-hmm. you know, a lot of the time you should be trying to prove things to yourself versus other people. But and we can talk about that more. And I think the other thing I would say that helped shape is when I originally came to New York City, it was tough to navigate my career. It was like, I had no idea what I want to do. I had no connections, literally none. The one interview I got when I got here was a disaster. That was through a connection. That was the only one. And I think navigating that and then also that was a that was a big mindset shift for me because it just taught me to be more scrappy with the resources that I had. And then I think it was, you know, it's it's interesting because a lot of these big companies, they hire people as contract workers and there was a connotation, I think, when I initially started that uh, of of not being hired full time. And I, and I wasn't trying to be a consultant, so I was trying to get a, a full time job, right? So mm-hmm. um, I think that helped uh, drive me with when I got within BlackRock was to, to just make sure I was working as hard as possible to one earn that spot mm-hmm. and then building as many as connections as possible to be able to navigate to the next the next phase. Yeah, I mean, it sounds like also you follow a method of proving to yourself what your capabilities are before you dismiss the story that's no longer true. You know, for example, like what your coach from high school, that method of tear down in order to build up is a commonly trained method for people to then step up into their greatness. Personally, I think it is, uh, there's much better methods out there. I'm not going to knock it. It like, it helps a lot of people out. Right. And that chip you're talking about is to prove otherwise. But that method of like tear down to build up, it comes from military, it comes from like army-based coaching, it comes from coaches, you know, sports coaches, especially too, to get in your head so that you you find that push to move, to move faster, to move better, et cetera, and prove that voice wrong. But it can also have you hit a wall, you know, and it can... Yeah. And then also limit the exposure of who you talk to and what rooms you get into because you start, if you truly believe the teardown story, then you don't achieve. And what's awesome about the way you handled it or as you share the story is that you, you know, you're able to build yourself up and prove otherwise, whether it was at Syracuse and sports and then, you know, carried into your career of starting over. And I also think that the story of taking something temporary, like the temp job or the contract job you did, also gives you that hustle of, well, damn, I still need the full-time one. You know, like I need the full-time income. I'm only 22, 23 out here, right? It was the same story for me. I had to take a temp gig. And what I found with the advantage of temp gigs was that it got it gave me local opportunity. You know, sometimes on a resume and now that you're a hiring manager yourself, like if if it were someone that was right out of college that didn't have local experience, like what are they going to bring to my company? There was all this judgment back then. It's right. different now that we're in a digital space and you can kind of Google someone and find out what they <laughs> are all about, you know? <laughs> yeah, you know it's, it's interesting. And to your point, like 
I think if you the tear down on the tear down and build up thing, I, I completely agree. And I think it's it goes back to you need it. You need a chip. You don't want that chip to overtake you. You want that chip to be, in my opinion, more internal than externally driven. So you don't want it driven by other people's opinions. You want it driven by your own opinion to be able to prove to your own self. Right. If you look external for those chips, mm-hmm. that's gonna end up what forces you into a wall. Yeah, and I also think you know it, it, the comparison. I uh, the comparison model, right? There's competition, which is valid, right? Like it's like okay, that person is is doing something that I also want to feel and do and like compete. But the comparison model, you know, when the chip is is built because you're comparing yourself, that's then what kind of can tear someone down, you know? Exactly. And in regards to that mindset work that you've done and like where you are today, and now that you're building up, you know, your leadership chops, I know you've been a solid leader for, for a few years now. And I'm curious, you know, when you work with your team or you think about how you are even laterally with other leaders, like what's the impression that you hope you're leaving behind after you interact um, or work with others? Yeah, you know, it's uh, one, I think, you know, passionate about the work that I do, um, passionate about the work that the team does. I think if in any job, whether you work for yourself or you work for a company, I think if you lack passion, you're going to, there's just no point. There's no point being there. I realize everyone needs a paycheck, but like, you know, go figure out a way to make a paycheck some way else if you really are, don't have a passion for it. I'm not necessarily, you know, the guy that's going to tell you to to go follow your pa- your only your passion. Meaning, like, find a balance between, you know, what you're passionate about, but you can also find a a place that could could help you. You know, you need money to live, so that could help you to, mm-hmm. to make whatever you need to to live. But I think it's just being passionate about the work that you that you do is one of the things I want people to to walk away with after interacting with me from a, a leadership standpoint. And then the the second thing is, I think, just coming across and, and being um, understood as a student of my my skill set or a student of my function, and whether that's through things I know or through things I would be willing to find out from a solution standpoint, I think that would be something where you know it's the figure it out mentality, and it's it's the idea of you know if, if there's there's there, there's a way we can make this work, it, it's probably not point A to point B, it's probably point A to C to F to G, but you know, we'll, we'll figure out a way to, to, to connect the dots. Yeah. And I, and I love that because it's, it's, it's clear. I mean, I've worked with you in the past, so I know that you always show up with an energy of commitment and passion and, and follow through. Um, but the willingness is so key. You know, I, I, I love that across any leader who's also willing to learn from their team and the expertise that they bring, and as well as go find the answer, you know, to assist somebody in figuring it out, which is so great because that, that energy is, is so needed. And it also helps you represent your brand, you know, not only your personal brand, but you're part of the corporate culture, you know, when you move into a leadership role. And a lot of people don't realize that their state of mind, their being, how they show up, that energy also reflects that corporate brand in finding that alignment and attracting the right clients as well as team. 
you know, so that's really cool that that's what you lead with. I personally like to call it seeking out your fulfillment, you know, factor, like raising your fulfillment because passion can sometimes feel like so nebulous. Like, what does that mean? You know, if you've never had like that passionate moment, (laughs) you know, it's different for everyone, but fulfillment is something that everyone can achieve and identifying, you know, what fills you up and figuring out a way to do that every day. Um, which is another topic I wanted to talk to you about with you because you not only are like a badass in, in branding and marketing and business and team building, but you also have a very specific outlook on health and wellness and, and self-care. So I'm wondering if you could share a little bit about that side of your life and, and how that fills you up each day. Yeah. I mean, uh, so I'm a super routine-oriented person. I was, and it's funny, you know, you mentioned the teardown of build-up and routine and stuff like that. And I didn't grow up in a military family. So, <laughs> uh, But, uh, you know, routine's a big aspect of my, my life. Health and wellness is, you know, a big aspect of my life. So every morning, I work out every morning. Yeah, I'm up at 4.45. and chug some water, have the coffee, get to the gym or go for a run. You know, it's been something I've I probably started doing. And, you know, obviously we worked out a lot in college, but yeah, I probably started taking it. I took a little bit of a hiatus post-college, but, you know, probably about two, three years ago, I started taking it really seriously. At this point, it's not even physical for me. I think it started out physical for me because I wanted to get in shape and I wanted to be you know, I just wanted to be in better shape. It ended up transitioning very much to mentally, and it is it, you know it, you know you hear all the BS about exercise helps your 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 mental stability. Up exercise helps your mindset. It really does. I mean, if it's got it's gotten to a, a place where it's helped me mentally so much from an energy standpoint, from keeping myself rooted in routine standpoint, and it's a routine that is is easy enough to because it's enjoyable it's easy enough to build the routine into your into your plan so i think that's been something i've been super super passionate about over the past few years and you know it was funny i i had some health issues a, a, a few years back and that really ended up also starting to think not only physically i need to worry about my health but also mentally i need to need to worry about my health because they're so closely integrated and they're so tied together that if you're, you know, you're only focused on the physical, but you're not focused on learning new skills, meditating, getting your mindset right, then it's it's a it's a super. And I was only fo- focused on the physical for a long, long time. And I've been really trying to focus on, which I still have a lot of work to. I'm a terrible meditator, but I've been I'm trying to get better at it. Um, I'm just you know continuing to do it, but. It's one of those things where it's now it's really about making sure the mental is in line with the physical. It, yeah, and that's great because I I subscribe to that model as well, you know, and I I had to learn the hard way. It took like health crisis in my mid to late 20s based on stress and being in the wrong company and like hitting a glass ceiling and all this stuff and and then realize, you know what, if I don't take care of me first, I can't I can't give to anybody else. I can't I can't extend myself when I need to or overextend when I need to if I'm not foundationally set every single day. And I always love doing it first thing in the morning too. And when it comes to meditation, so I was horrible because my mind is always about like task, task, what's next, what's next, like chime down the list, right? Like I'm on that achiever mindset where it's hard to shut it down. 
So I will share with you my method. I actually have it recorded. So I'll, I'll share it for mm. it with you because it literally is like 10 to 15 minutes because that's the max that I can kind of sit. And it, it gives you this ability to kind of open up within, but get that mind right and also be the receiver. Because a lot of the times too, when you have innate gifts like you do and they start showing up, in your daily life, in your work, in your relationships, you know, especially now as you're building a family, like these um, meditations, these moments to yourself of also being open to what, you know, like the universe is meant to give you <laughs> kind of thing, you know, not sound so woo woo, but it's kind of like, it, it gives you that openness of the what's next, especially in that creative mind that you have to have within marketing and branding and connection that practice shifted my whole world. Like once I put it into play, so I'll share it with you just so you have it. And I'll add it to the show notes for anybody listening that wants access to it as well, because it, it literally like shifted everything. And I love that you're incorporating that, you know, into your world. You know, I tried it. I, I tried to get into meditation a little while back and uh, it was an utter failure. <laughs> Um, and I kind of I disregarded it for a, a while, but I've been I've been doing I've been doing it a lot, at least every morning lately. And it yeah, what I found was really I would you know I'd get up, I would spring into action so quickly uh, without first you know setting my foundation or grounding myself for the day. And a lot of the time, I almost felt more stressed versus less stress because I was like immediately jump into action mode. So even if it's that three to five minutes where I'm just like, okay, I'm up mm-hmm. and you know, I know what I need to do for the day and I'm, I'm kind of getting my focus in and then you're able to operate a lot more efficiently throughout the day. Yeah. I love also um, when I trained with Tony Robbins, the priming exercise. So if you haven't checked out priming, you might really enjoy that because it's, there's a very physical aspect to it that you can incorporate either before or after your workout that since you, since you have that routine as well. And I personally, I like to meditate actually after I have my hard workout because I'm, I'm like in that zone, you know, that like post euphoric sweat zone. <laughs> if you just want to like, and then, so I, I do that actually to close out my workout practice, but then also set the intention for my work day, which is, yeah. I, you know, something else to, to, to look into. So I'll share, I'll share his priming exercise with you as well, because I think awesome. both are um, something to try. And I'll tell, you know, anyone listening who hesitates with, with meditation or feels like it's stressful, then it's not right. You know, like that's not, <laughs> that's not the right method for you. Concentration meditation creates so much stress for me. You know, like, don't tell me to sit there and think about the oceans and like, you know, like go and be in some field and I'm walking around. I'm like, no, I got things to do. Like, don't put me all the way out there. <laughs> you know, so that didn't work for me, that method. For some people it does. But um, and just keep introducing yourself to different methods until you find the right one that fits. Yeah, you know, the, the, I've been using... Uh... I've been using recently the app Headspace. Oh, uh, yeah. Which I think is it's good because they don't try to force you to do anything. They kind of gently nudge you to certain places, and then if they, you know, the 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 meta the meditation coach within the app, whether you go to that place or not is up to you. But it's never a 
it's never a, you got to concentrate on this or pitch right. So it's it's helped. Using that app has definitely helped me be better about meditating and just chilling out in the morning. I love it. I love it. That's such a great practice that more you know people can incorporate. So it's a great tool and tip to give folks, which is cool. Yeah. That's really great. So tell me. If you were to define what a badass is, yes. how, would you def- how would you define it? I would say a badass is uh, equal parts uh, confidence, humility, passion with zero ego. You know, I think it's, it's interesting just in recent months, I've been thinking a lot about you know, as you start to interact with different people in your life and you start to interact with different clients, you think a lot about confidence versus ego. And, you know, I think confidence helps. I think ego hurts. I think humility in, in having humility about what you're doing from a, a, a personal or professional standpoint is something that honestly took me a long time to, to get right. You know, I think there were times in my life where I just, I didn't have as much as I should have. Maybe age humbles you. But, uh, and it, that's damn true. But, you know, it was one of those things where you got to have uh, humility. It's got to be within your blood and you got to be able to find it. If you don't, if you don't feel like you have enough and that it took me a long time to figure that out. So I think you know, I think that's that's a, that's how I would define a badass. But ego is a, is a dangerous, dangerous thing. It really, really is. Yeah, when you lead with it, for sure, it can be detrimental. And I and I love that that definition um, that you bring humility into it uh, because sometimes it takes the ego actually to push you further. Um, maybe say something that might be uncomfortable or kind of get you over something, you know, like through or through something, but it's the recognition that, um, that wasn't right, right. After the fact, or that maybe you went a little bit too far because ego helps you with some of your lessons learned a little bit to lead with it. And to have that be your guiding force, it sounds like is what could be detrimental as well as very isolating. You know, that's when, when I, when I, Think about the people that I've come across who lead with ego first. It immediately shuts me down from wanting to interact with them further. You know, so I can only imagine if they're rubbing everybody that way, how are they able to connect? You know, and, and build what they want. I completely agree, and I think there's that's where the the the, the difference and the fine line. There is such a fine line between having a strong confidence and ego. Because, you know, a strong confidence is something that how you carry yourself, confidence in the, the things that you say, confidence, is the no- confidence in the knowledge that you have, uh, in the decisions that you make. And, it, it, you know, it's, a, it's, a, it's an unconscious balance that you have to play between having that confidence within yourself but not getting to that point where you're starting to cross the line and say, in, in leading with, the, the ego factor versus carrying the confidence factor. Yeah. And I love to say that confidence is faith in action. Yeah. So it, you're right. Like it, 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 it is that actionable word. It's like you show it. You can't, like, confidence is not something that is ever hidden. <laughs> you know, like you're always putting it forward. 
That's beautiful. Well, I want to I want to thank you for joining me today and sharing a piece of your badass journey. And I know there's so much more to come for you. So hopefully we'll have another conversation to share with folks in you know a few months time. But um, I really just want to want to thank you. And uh, as people desire to get in touch with you, you know, learn about Scion Investments, learn about Al Cavalieri. Where would you like them to go? How would you like them to find you? Uh, you know, Instagram is probably the, the, uh, at Al Cavallari is, is the, the channel these days. Though I'm starting to be more in love with it, with LinkedIn again, Mm -hmm. Uh, but LinkedIn or or Instagram are probably the two best, two best channels to get in touch with me. But, you know, I I also want to thank you for having me on the show. It was awesome to, to talk to you. And it's interesting as you tell these stories that it's, you don't often think about them. So it's, it's good to to rehash them and almost it's almost euphoric in a sense yeah Yeah, i'm glad i'm glad you feel like like there's some benefit in sharing it because i know our listeners are going to benefit from hearing your story and and it's been just so awesome to share with you with them so thanks again i will we'll definitely talk soon all right i'll see you thank you thank you for joining me today before you move on to the next episode please post a review or share this episode with someone you think would appreciate it. Your feedback and support mean everything to me. For more information, check out yourbadassjourney.com or kareenwalsh.com. I truly believe everyone is capable of living a badass life. Thank you for listening.